Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. This is a topic I talk about maybe once a year, and even at that, it's probably not enough. I mean, look around. We're easily offended. We're bitter. We're mentally weak. I'd argue that it all stems from this. We suck at forgiving. But Jesus said, if you follow him, you have to be good at it. So let's talk about it. Forgiveness. What do, you, what do you think of when you see this word forgiveness? Or you think of like maybe you need forgiveness for something, something you need, or maybe you look at this word forgiveness and you think, no, it's something I actually need to, to give. I've been withholding forgiveness from someone. The other night, my, uh, my oldest, this is Madison, and my, my youngest, Reese, uh, they were roughhousing. And any time they roughhouse, my, my youngest always wins. She's more coordinated. She's more tough. She does not quit. I mean, she's pretty awesome. And uh, so she can take her, her older two sisters down. Uh, this particular time, though, Madison pushed Reese onto the couch. And they're just playing around, but Madison pushed Reese onto the couch. And Reese stood up on the couch. And I don't know where she saw this, but it made me so proud. She goes, oh, yeah, taps her elbow and jumps off and body slams, body slams her oldest sister to the ground. Perfect form. She rolls off. Like, the dismount was just perfect. It was so cool. But, of course, I can't say that, right? You know, Madison's laying on the floor crying. So as a dad, you know, you put on the referee shirt and, and you're like, all right, now, you know, Madison, you started this. If, if, if you can't take the heat, you got to get out of the kitchen, baby. Like you pushed her. What do you say to Reese? And, and so uh, she says to Reese, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for pushing you, Reese. And she's okay, Reese, now what, what, do you, what do you say to your sister? And Reese looks at her sister and goes, don't let it happen again. <laughs> oh, that was so cool. <laughs> but that's not what I meant. <laughs> it's as funny as that is, I wonder how often God puts on his referee shirt, shaking his head at us, going, man, that's not what I meant. It's not what I meant when I said to forgive. Like in reality, I wonder if God looks at us sometimes and says, man, if I were to forgive the way you forgive, you would be in hell right now. Like we're just not very good at this forgiveness thing. We're not very good at forgiving, and it all stems from a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is and, and, and what it's not. You get this, a recent survey shows that the vast majority of Americans, the vast majority of us, desire to be forgiven more. So we desire to be forgiven more, but we also admit in this, uh, in this survey that we struggle with extending forgiveness. So in other words, I want forgiveness for the, for the sins that I've committed, but I'm going to struggle giving that forgiveness out from the offenses that were committed against me. Same survey shows that 60% of Americans, I wonder if you agree with this, say that forgiveness is conditional. It's conditional. If they apologize, if they change their ways, then I'll be gracious and then I'll forgive them. 58% say that there are some things that are just unforgivable. Situations that just, you're not gonna get forgiven for, such as abuse, sex crimes, murder, just no forgiveness, ever. Now, whether you agree with that or not, this is just where we're at as a culture. And we find ourselves more divided, more depressed, more angry, more mentally weak than ever. And we're feeling that, we're seeing that around us. And God, with his referee shirt, dad with his referee shirt, is going, man, that's not what I meant. It's not what I meant. Can I take you to a more peaceful place than this over here? For your own benefit, can you come with me and lean into how I define forgiveness? That's what we're gonna do today. Matthew chapter 18. That's right, Matthew chapter 18. Really encourage you to grab a Bible. We got Bibles in the chairs. If you didn't bring a Bible, otherwise I know a lot of times people use their phones or their tablets. We have the Bridge app, and so a lot of people use the, uh, the Bridge app. There's a Bible on there. We also have notes on the Bridge app as well. Uh, we also have notes in the bulletin if you prefer to take it with uh, notes with a pen. Got a lot of blanks today. I apologize about that. But Matthew chapter 18, 
is where we're gonna be. Let me pray, we'll just jump right into this. And Father, thank you so much for your word. And God, I ask that your Holy Spirit just work in our hearts as, as we go through this text. May your Holy Spirit illuminate this text to us, but also bring situations to mind. God, I, I know this because you've, you've done this with me already in this text. Some names, some faces, some situations are gonna come to mind if they already haven't. They're gonna come to mind. And God, I pray that we don't dismiss those, but we allow your Holy Spirit to work through us we want to leave this place more free than we came in. So please speak to us. We are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into Matthew chapter 18, as we enter into scripture, we find ourselves in a little fishing village of Capernaum, just a little village on the northern rim of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus called home for three years of his ministry. Uh, he, he lived a lot of times with, with Peter um, in, uh, in his house with, his, with Peter's mother-in-law. We believe this building right here was built over Peter's house, actually. But today, a large crowd forms on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sits on a boulder talking to his disciples, but he's speaking loud enough as if to invite the growing crowd into the conversation. In the distance, the small boats sway in the harbor. A few men sit in their boats or mending nets from the early morning catch. Kids down the shore a little bit further skip rocks and splash each other with water. The periodic breeze sweeps through, making the sun more bearable. The women in the crowd along the shoreline, they rewrap their, their head coverings, allowing more fabric over their forehead to keep the sun out of their eyes. The men, they squint and rub their sweaty foreheads with their arms. See, this conversation that Jesus is having, it's worth, it's worth the heat. And Matthew brings us into the conversation. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, to him, Jesus, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now this is a fantastic question. Peter's asking the same question that we're all asking. Is there a point where forgiveness is conditional? Is there a point where we go, okay, well, that's not for forgivable. Is there a point where we go, okay, I'm not going to forgive that anymore. You keep on doing that over and over and over. There's got to be a line somewhere, right, Jesus? So where's that line? Is it seven, seven times? And you got to give Peter some, some credit with this. This is actually a very generous number. See, Amos in the Old Testament, Amos wrote, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Israel. For four, I will not revoke my punishment. According to the old law, most Jews believe that, it, that you could forgive someone three times. After the third time, no more. That's what was embedded in their culture. In fact, so much so that archaeologists have uncovered rocks or stones with all these markings, and they found that these, these markings are actually ancient records of offenses. It's like, Rebecca said this about me, strike one. You know, Omer didn't return my shovel last week, strike two. Like many people would have their rock in their home and they kept all their records on. You know, the, the three strikes and you're out. And I'm keeping my records. I got my rock at home. And so Peter here, he comes up to Jesus and he's playing the smart. And this is so funny to me because Peter knows Jesus usually takes the Old Testament and he, he doubles it. He, Jesus always takes it to like a, a whole new level. So right, Jesus is like, oh, you've heard it said, walk a mile. Well, I say, walk two miles. Or you've heard it said, don't murder. Well, I'm telling you, don't hate. Like Jesus is always taking the old law and then like doubling it or taking it to a whole new level. Peter knows this. And so he's going to take the three number, double it. And then I'm going to add one more, you know, just for extra grace, seven times. And you know, Peter's standing there waiting for Jesus to give him a sticker. Peter, wow, well done, seven times. His mother-in-law and you know, his wife are sitting there nearby like, honey, you married well, seven times, wow. Peter's standing there already, and you know Jesus holding back his smile, but Jesus got something else in mind. Verse 22, 
Jesus said to Peter, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And this is when a silence falls over everyone. They're trying to do the math. 70 times seven. That's like 370, 490 times. That's 163 times what Amos said. Like, I'm going to need a bigger rock to keep my records at home. Now, Jesus didn't mean 490 times on the dot no more. Instead, in typical Jesus' brilliance, he's deconstructing their whole view of forgiveness. Got my rock, my three strikes, and they're out. And Jesus is saying, that's not what dad meant when he said forgiveness. Jesus is completely obliterating their whole view of what forgiveness is and isn't. And then he's going he's gonna to tell a story then that will reconstruct what their, what their view of forgiveness should be. That's what this crowd needs. And that's what you and I absolutely need as well. We are so messed up today when it comes to forgiveness, if not more than the crowd in this text. A few months ago, I, I sat down with, uh, with two, two people who were upset with each other. Uh, they don't go to our church, but they asked me to I don't know, counsel and mediate. Not sure why I agreed to it because I'm just, I'm not good at that at all. But we, I sit down with these two ladies and the first lady's mad at the second lady and, and the first lady has her list. And, uh, and you know, she doesn't have a rock like the crowd, but she's got her whole list, which is a whole other thing. Lists are so dumb, don't make lists. But she's going through a whole list, you know. You didn't acknowledge me the other day and you snapped at me last week and you're more better friends with so-and-so. And the second one was like, apologize. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to ignore you. And I did snap. I'm so sorry about that. Hope you can forgive me. And I'm sitting there thinking like, I'm pretty good at this actually. I thought it was pretty bad, I'm pretty good. Like, this is pretty easy. So I said to the first lady, I said, okay, so she's asking for forgiveness. Can you forgive her? Like, we're good, right? She goes, well, I don't know. I need more time. It's like, time for what? It's like, well, I'm, I'm hurt and I, I just don't feel it yet. I feel what? It's like, well, I, 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 I need to feel it in order for it to be genuine. Okay, sure, forgiveness. Like, what does that have to do with forgiveness, though? Come to find out the first lady who couldn't forgive has this trail of severed relationships. She jumps from church to church to church, getting hurt. And when she gets wrong in the slightest of ways, it's like the end of the world, and she refuses to forgive. She's just a lonely, angry woman. Now, she says she likes Jesus, but she has this messed up view of what forgiveness is and isn't. And a lot of us walked into these doors like that. And here in this text, Jesus says, okay, I want you to take your personal view of forgiveness, whatever you think that is, because everybody defines it differently. Take your personal view of forgiveness, throw it in the trash because it's making you easily offended, miserable, and ultimately lonely. So let's just throw it in the trash. Let's do that. I got six things that forgiveness is not. These are in your notes. We'll hit these very quickly. Six things forgiveness is not. We're just gonna tear down the, the culture's idea of forgiveness. First off, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. We need to feel it for it to be genuine. It's like, oh, come on. Rarely do I ever feel like forgiving someone. As believers, and this is just true across the board, as believers, we act in faith, doing what God has asked us to do. We forgive. Regardless of our feelings, we forgive. And then we trust God that those feelings will follow, but we're not going to act on those, on those feelings. When we allow our feelings to drive us, which is what happens in most cases, we crash our lives. Hey, come on, let's just be honest. The feeling of forgiveness will never come. Maybe the feeling of like, okay, now we're even, but that's not forgiveness. Feelings in the driver's seat will always mess you up. You choose to forgive. You don't feel to forgive. So forgiveness is not a feeling. It's also not contingent. Now, again, I know 58% say forgiveness is contingent, or 60% say forgiveness is contingent, which means that we hold on to things. We let those people live rent-free in our head, have a ton of imaginary conversations where we just let them have it, and we always win those debates. And we kill ourselves until they do something they're probably never going to do. And that's just self-inflicting mental injury. 
I hate to break it to you yet, but, but, but if they haven't apologized yet, they're probably never going to. They will continue to live destructive, stubborn, self-righteous lifestyles, and there's just nothing you can do about it. Don't let that, don't let the quality of your life be contingent on them apologizing because, because they're probably never going to. So forgiveness is not contingent. It's also not forgetting. It's not forgetting. Sometimes super spiritual Christians will say, well, believers, we forgive and forget. So are you kidding me? So like people who've been molested and raped, they're just supposed to forget about it? It's, it's, no, it's impossible. It's placing a heavy weight on victims. You can forgive, but you're still gonna probably remember. You can forgive and still feel residual pain. You can forgive and gotta work through some of that pain, but it's not on you to forget. Now, having said that, sometimes people will use this as an excuse to not forgive. You ever hear somebody say, hey, I forgive, but I don't forget. It's like, what's that supposed to mean? Like that attitude doesn't really ooze forgiveness, does it? Like if personally, if I'm going to forgive you, I hope that I can forget about it. Let's try to move on. I want to forget about it. I'm going to hold on to it. But it also doesn't mean forgiveness is not um, forgetting. Forgiveness is also not justice. It's not justice. Just because I forgive you doesn't mean, okay, now justice has taken place. We're all good. You can forgive someone and still allow the charges to be pressed. You can forgive someone and still allow there to be consequences. You can forgive someone and still testify against them in court. Too often, many parents allow their children to never face the consequences of their action, and they'll always label it, well, forgiveness, we're just really forgiving. It's like, no, you're just really enabling. That's not, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not justice. It's not trusting. It's not trusting. The difficult part about trust is trust is built slowly over time, and it's lost very quickly. You can forgive someone, but you might need some time to trust them again. For example, if somebody were to abuse my kids, and through the grace of God, I did not kill them, I would never have them babysit my kids. Oh, but Junior, you forgave them, right? Sure, but I don't trust them. That's built slowly over time. Forgiveness doesn't mean now you're buddy-buddy, best friends, brushing each other's hair and going to the soda shop together. It doesn't necessarily mean that. And the fact is, you might have a parent, or you might have an acquaintance, or you might have a coworker who hurt you. You don't have to wait for an apology. You can forgive them. That doesn't mean you're gonna return back to being like as close as you were. That might not happen right away, and that's okay. Like just a few months ago, I had some, uh, a couple in my office. Um, their dad was an was a alcoholic living with them and stealing from them. And so we were just talking through, okay, what is, what is this gonna look like moving forward? It's like, all right, let's forgive them. Let's work through that. But that doesn't necessarily mean, okay, now he's gonna come back in and live with you. It's probably unwise, well, that's up to you, but that might take some time to rebuild that trust again. You can forgive somebody immediately, but trust may take some time, and that's okay. Sometimes that's even wise. Forgiveness is not trusting, and sixth, it's not singular. It's not singular. Sometimes you can forgive someone, but the emotional moment is still fresh. Does that make sense? Like, am I the only one where you forgive someone, and, and, and like it hits you the next day or like the next week, like, man, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. And those feelings of anger and hurt kind of come back. Means you gotta, forgiveness is repeated. Okay, I gotta forgive them again in my heart. I have a good friend. Uh, the guy's been hurt pretty bad. And he's not one of those like attention-seeking, woe is me, gonna wear my heart on my Facebook sleeve and get attention. Like he like legitimately had some tough stuff done to, done to him as a child. And, and he doesn't talk about it much, but, but his parents really messed with his childhood. And he told me, he said that he has to include in his morning prayer, God, I've, I have forgiven them. Like you've forgiven me, I've forgiven them. I'm hurting today, but I'm, I'm forgiving them again. 
Like, I would love to stand up here and say, hey, once you forgive someone, it's all over, it's all done. No, it might still hurt, and it'll be this process of continual forgiveness. That's Jesus' point when he says 70 times seven. It's just over and over and over and over and over. Now, let me qualify this, though. I, I, I don't want to just like, move on without, without saying this. Um, we may have some women in here who are being abused, and I don't want you looking at this thinking, oh, I just need to keep on forgiving them as they abuse me. I knew a girl growing up whose stepdad uh, kept on abusing her, and she didn't speak up. She'd actually say, oh, I just need to have this like, continual forgiveness. And I just want to say, if that's you, if you're in a similar situation, you need to get out of the house like today. And you might say, oh, I'm scared, and I get it. Tell one of the men here, we got some big dudes at the bridge who love Jesus and are barely saved, and they would love, love to protect a brother or sister. So, so this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean like, okay, I, I'm gonna keep them in a position to keep on doing the same thing over and over and over to me. What, what this means is when you forgive someone, you're likely gonna have moments later on where those emotions, they feel fresh again, and you gotta forgive again and again and again. My dad said that before he goes and he hangs out with a, with a family member, he actually, his mom, he says, I have to forgive her before going and hanging out with her just to remind myself I've forgiven her, clean slate, and, and we, can come, we can come together. That's Jesus' point in verse 22. He's tearing down the commonly held messed up view of forgiveness. Three strikes, you're out. He's redefining it. No, I'm obliterating the ceiling. 70 times seven, guys. 70 times seven. What? It's 490 times. I'm gonna need a bigger rock. It's far from what Amos said. And Jesus is saying, yeah, because forgiveness is a way of life. It's a way of life. Jesus isn't playing the doubling game that Peter thought he was going to play. Like, there's no doubling or tripling going on. Rather, he's obliterating the ceiling. Jesus is saying, it's not about an amount, it's about a way of life. If you follow me, you're gonna be known as a very forgiving person if you follow me. That's a Bar sits very high. So back to the shore, Jesus sits on the boulder, the sun lowers, breeze sweeps through, 70 times seven. Silence falls over the shore, 70 times seven. Some are using their fingers to count. And Jesus is like, stop doing the math, guys. It's not the point, give more grace, less math, more grace, less math, more grace, less rock scratches, more clean slates. Just get rid of your rock at home, just throw it away. And he sees the crowd really struggling with this. This is new. I mean, because this whole three times is really embedded into their culture. This is so new. This is so difficult. And so typical Jesus fashion, he goes into a story. It's such a good story, too. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, he was brought, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I think after Jesus said this right here, everyone just started roaring in laughter. This is funny. We miss a lot of Jesus' humor it's a different culture, different time, and we lose some humor in, in, uh, in translation. But either way, here we got a guy who owes the king 10,000 talents. It's an absurd amount of money. One talent is worth 6,000 denarii. One denarii is a day's wage. Think about it. Do the math. 10,000 talents is 60 million days of work. It's like Jesus just said, this man owes the U.S. national debt. Crazy amount of debt that this guy racked up. 165,000 years of labor. And so the king in the next few verses says, all right, you're not gonna be able to pay me back. I'll sell you, I'll sell your wife, I'll sell your kids. And during this time, that's how the slave system worked. If you racked up debt, you and your family could be sold as slaves until the debt was repaid. So the average American today would be a slave today. This guy's doomed for generations. And continue on. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, 
have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Not a pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. 60 million days of work forgiven. And in the brilliance of Jesus, he's giving us this simple working definition of forgiveness. Our society can't really define forgiveness. We all define forgiveness all these different ways. But 2,000 years ago, on the shores of a little fishing village, Jesus defined it. It's a very simple yet powerful definition. He says, forgiveness is canceling a debt. That's what forgiveness is. You want to define forgiveness, it's canceling a debt. See, whenever you're hurt, whenever you've been mistreated, and I know you have, there is this sense in which something was taken from you. If someone stole your idea at work or someone stole your sale at work, that recognition or that commission, they owe that to you. That was taken away from you and, and they owe that to you. If your mom or your dad left you, they took a piece of your childhood from you. They owe you. They robbed you from being able to be tucked in by both mom and dad. They robbed you of having both parents. If your spouse took off on you and you believe it's like 80% their fault, they took something from you, that, that first marriage, and, and they owe you that because you stood at the altar and, and you made a promise and they robbed you of the chance of finishing who you started with. And so that's when anger steps in at that point as a bodyguard and says, okay, you owe me. You owe me. You owe me my innocence. You owe me my first marriage. You owe me my childhood. You owe me that job. You owe me that sale. You owe me that recognition. You owe it to me to have been at my wedding. You owe it to me to have tucked me in at night. You owe me my reputation. You owe me. And often they do. Just like the people sitting on the shore, we keep a running tab. That person owes me. That person owes me. That person knows me. We don't have it on a rock at home, but we keep it up here. It's why many of us are really struggling mentally because we weren't designed to keep all that up here. We've got all these debts, all these accounts, all these receipts, all these memories, and this anger and this bitterness. We're just going to hold on to it until we get paid. And Jesus says in, here in the parable, he says, forgiveness, let me just define it for you. Forgiveness is closing the account. That's a nice thought. Maybe. But for some of us, that, that, that doesn't sit well. But come on, you don't know what they did to me. You know what they cost me in life. You don't know how deeply that affected me. I don't. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't just leave us with this definition here. He's taking us somewhere. So we go back into the story. Huge burden's been lifted from the servant, national debt forgiven, new lease on life. Look what he does. He says, but that, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay until you owe so he finds someone who owes him 1% of what he was just forgiven. 1%. His debt is canceled. It's forgiven. But the debt against him, oh, he's going to keep that account open. He's going to withhold forgiveness. Lord gets back to the king. Look what happens. The king summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should, I not have, should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Let me just get this straight. I forgave you 165,000 years of labor and you turn around and withhold three months, three months of labor from someone else? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now look at this. This is verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. a verse in the Bible that I would just love to erase. This is serious. It's serious because I know some in this room have been hurt. Like if we were to go around the room right now and share our pain and what people have done to us, we would be so mad at that person who hurt you. And we would say, yeah, I totally get why you're holding on to that. 
And some of us have been hurt in some deep ways, in ways where, maybe I shouldn't say this, but as your pastor, if you were to get up here and share your story and what somebody did to you, I would say to you, let's go bust some kneecaps. I will go with you, let's go right now. But here's what Jesus says, because he's, he's better than me. I don't have the nerve to say it, but he does. He says, you know you gotta close that account or I'm coming after you. That's verse 35. And we can think, Jesus, how could you say that? You, you, you know what they do. You know what they're like. They're not even sorry. And Jesus says, yeah, but I'm not really saying it for them. I'm saying this for your benefit. You can't live this way. Also, I'm saying this because God, through me, forgave you. And truth is, you and I had this open account with God. We owed God big time, and it wasn't good. We were dead in our trespasses on our way to an eternity in hell. We owed God, and there was no way we could ever pay him back. We are dead in our trespasses, but God in his mercy and grace looked at us in kindness with a tender heart and said, man, I know they can't pay me back. It'll never happen. So I'm going to close their account forgiven. And God took on flesh, came and paid your debt, paid my debt, closed the account. I know you got some anger and it's legitimate and you got some pain and you got some rejection and you got some things you wish you could just forget, but you can't, which result in a lot of emotion and a lot of energy. But if God can close the account on you, can he close the account on others? If he can't, verse 35. And Jesus is hard on this because he knows you not forgiving, you holding on to that is to push the self-destruction button on your life. It messes with you mentally, fractures your relationships. Plus, come on, let's just be honest. Truth be told, you know this. They can't pay you back anyways. I mean, you could be mad at your dad for the rest of your life because he wasn't there for you. But if he were to like magically appear to you as you're walking out to your car and say, how can I make this back to you? You would look at him and say, you can't, you can't. We can't go back. You can't turn back time so you can teach me how to throw a ball. You can't turn back time so that you can you know, not make mom a single mother again. There's nothing you can do. And the reality is whoever hurt you, whether it's a boss, an ex, a friend, a business partner, a parent, they can't go back. They can't repay you. There's just some things that can't be repaid. That's why God, in his kindness, looks down and says, okay, well, then I got an idea. Why don't you follow my lead? Let's close the account. Because this running tab is only hurting you. Why don't you leave the anger here? Why don't you leave the bitterness here? Why don't you leave the resentment here? Let's close the account. C.S. Lewis wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That's what Jesus is saying in his text. It's a mark of a Jesus follower because forgiveness is a reflection of our faith. It's a reflection of our faith. It's a way of life. It's what we're to be known by. It's canceling debts. We're to be debt cancelers. And it's a reflection of our faith. The way in which we forgive others is a reflection in how we understand God's forgiveness of us. So if I understand that my national debt worth of sin has been canceled on my behalf, that I stand before God completely undone with this incredible forgiveness, that perspective translates to me canceling debts against myself. See, Jesus is very strong here because forgiveness is a huge reflection of our faith. The way we forgive shows where we're at spiritually. Look what, look what uh, Jesus said in, in Matthew 7. He said, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
I try to remember this verse every time I get cut off in traffic and I want to tailgate them. The measure in which I'm going to forgive this person, <laughs> it's going to be measured back. Now, that doesn't taste very good. If you're a more forgiving judge, you'll meet a more forgiving judge. If you are harsh and strict to others, you'll meet a more harsh and strict judge. Now, this isn't works-based. This is not karma, because in the end, you don't get what you deserve. But we have to see this. Jesus is very clear here. When it comes to forgiveness and how we deal with our offense, the offenses against us, will be taken into account when dealing with our own offenses against him. This is why in the Lord's Prayer, maybe you've never seen this before, but this is why in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As, as. This, this, this conjunction can also be translated as like. Some translations even have it as how. Forgive us our trespasses as, like how, we forgive those who trespass against us. Ugh, suddenly, I don't like this part of the Lord's Prayer as much. But Jesus again repeats here, there's this connection between how we judge and the measure with which we'll be judged. So on the shore of Capernaum that day, Jesus looks over a crowd that is keeping score, killing themselves with all of their records, and he says, can you guys just stop doing the math? Stop doing the math, stop running the tabs, less math, realize your debt, and do to others what God has done and is doing with you. Forgive us our trespasses as, like, how we forgive those who trespass against us. So I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of my sin, a generous king who canceled my massive debt as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed my transgressions from us. I believe in that wonderful forgiveness, and the more I believe in that, the more I believe in the forgiveness of sins against me. Because Jesus says it's connected. A few years ago, I, I met this, uh, this guy named Alex. Alex was six years old when the Rwanda genocide took place. Uh, he told me, he said, Junior, I, I remember the day I was six years old in my house when soldiers, when a bunch of men came up to our house, knocked on the door and called all the adults outside. He ran to a window just in time to watch a man murder his family. And the man looked like he was enjoying it. Six years old, watching that. As soon as he saw the adults in his family murdered, he ran out the back door and the men shot at him. He escaped and, and went into an orphanage and, and through some missionaries that we support as a church, he came to faith and he decided to follow Jesus. Through studying the Bible, he just couldn't get away from this level of forgiveness that we're supposed to uh, live by as Christians, this, this bar that has been set very high. He just couldn't get past that. So get this, he did a ton of research finally found the man who killed his family, rotting in prison, where he belongs. Alex walked into that prison. He said, Junior, as I approached that cell, I saw his face. I had flashbacks of looking at him through a window and seeing him smile as he murdered my family. And through tears, Alex said to him, God forgave me of much. I forgive you. And then beyond that, I mean, that's just incredible. But then Alex said something that just blew me away even more. He said, I hope my forgiveness leads that man to God. I hope that man walks into heaven one day. What? Alex, who says that? Who thinks that? This man cut up your family in front of you. This man shot at you. This man put you in an orphanage. Who says, I hope I get to see this man in heaven? Someone who understands who they are in Jesus' parable. 
forgiven of much, to forgive much. Forgive us our trespasses, as like how we forgive those who trespass against us. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, my great massive debt, but also the debts against me. What about you? We always ask that question as we come out of God's word. Okay, so what? God speaks through his word. What is he saying to me? The question I just want to leave you with is this question right here. Whose debt do you need to cancel? Whose debt is it? Because I know how this goes, right? Names, faces come to mind. As I'm studying this text, names, faces come to mind. Again, faces that I can have imaginary conversations with where I just let them have it and I win every time. These debts against me. Which face came to your mind? Which name came to your mind? Who's it going to take to forgive, to feel that freedom that you've been longing for, but you've been resisting because you've been holding on to that account? Who is it for you? Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Thank you.